The reason people aren't financially free is they don't know what to do and they don't know where to start. I want you to join Joey and I at the Virtual Inner Circle Live April the 4th through the 6th as we share with you the exact answers to those questions. We only do this event one time per year. I don't want you to miss out. Go to westwatwallstreet.com forward slash live and enter promo code podcast. When you're at this event, you're going to get your investor DNA. You're going to get access to up to six different passive income strategies. So you know, leaving this event, exactly what to do, taking our decades of knowledge so that you can start becoming financially free. Go to wealthwhitewallstreet.com forward slash live and enter the promo code podcast. All right, Russ. So how much do you know about composting? Um, composting in what way? I mean, like, like you, you know, you've heard of a compost bin or compost pile, right? You take <laughs> your scraps of food and other things and you dump it in this one area and over time it disintegrates and it just turns into just the soil that is super, super rich nutrient wise that you can use in your various different, you know, farming and, or just planting food, you know, things like that, vegetables and whatnot. You, I mean, I, you know about that? I'm not like an expert on that, but I mean, one of my, one of my aunts, she has a, a compost pile. Yeah. She takes all her table scraps and throws them out in it. And then she takes that dirt over time as she's planting her garden every spring. And I don't know, like sprinkles it in or whatever, mixes it up. I think my uncle's out there with one of those tillers, like doing this. What, what are we talking about here, Seth? Well, I, I just, I want to give credit where credit is due. This past weekend at the Laying Geek Bootcamp, Matt Davis gave us one of the greatest analogies I've ever heard about infinite banking and the use of your policy. He said, if you have infinite banking, you have a system of policy set up, but you don't use it. It's like having a compost pile that you never use the soil to create benefits in your garden. Mm. And I was like, that is brilliant. I mean, to be honest, you and I right now would have nothing to report on in our passive income report every single month. If we just had a bunch of policies, right? We do have those, but if right. we didn't put them to work, if we didn't have something to go and apply them to, to create passive income, our coaches today, their quarterly update is today when we interview them and you're going to want to check out some of the nuggets that they share, like things that Russ and I were just blown away by the, the level of detail in which they're looking at their own financial freedom journey. But man, they would have nothing to talk about if they didn't put their systems to use. Well, it reminds me of the book, Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Ash. He had a section, a chapter titled Use It or Lose It, right? And I, right. I think that's what you're saying there. No matter where our cash is stored, if we're not using it, it's not doing anything. When we say lose it, well, right now everyone can relate to the fact that money is going backwards. It's costing more and more just to be sitting idle because of the inflation impacts of our government printing money. True. And so I, I think the the idea of us taking that money, putting it to work, and then going out and recycling it, right? Creating a velocity of money effect, applying what we already know is true is that we need to get our dollars in motion, creating more dollars and continuing to repeat and 
rinse and repeat that function, we win. And I, I do love today's podcast, Joey, because we do get to hear from our coaches. We do get to hear the insight that they have from the things they're doing with their personal finances. It's something that we do once a quarter, and I hope that you will enjoy as we go into this episode. So, Joey, without further ado, let's barely up. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now, here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Welcome into the Financial Freedom Roundtable, where each week we break down complex financial topics so that you can more easily understand them and, more importantly, take action on your path to becoming financially free. This is your first time joining us. Welcome. Grateful to have you in the room. I'm Russ Morgan. They call me the idea guy, mostly because lack of father guy just didn't sound so cool. But enough about me for a moment. Let me introduce you to my co-host, my partner, the Italian stallion. He's got the license plate cover to prove it, Mr. Joe Murray. Stallion, good afternoon. Man, good afternoon to you, Russ. Uh, this is a this is an amazing place to be, San Antonio, Texas, with the Land Geek family, and uh, you know we're doing it live here from San Antonio. And I just want to make sure people know where we're at. It, to be honest, I, I actually said good afternoon out of habit, but technically we're recording this in the morning. So good morning. I wasn't going to correct you. Those are those are technicalities, Russ. I feel I feel like soon Ernie's going to give me a good evening, good night uh, to go along with that. But today, <laughs> it's not about you and I. We are actually going to be asking these coaches to give us an update, to, to help us see what they've been up to for the last three months. And what are you most excited about learning about? Man, I, I'll tell you what. These guys, as you know, are so much better than you and I ever were as coaches. Um they're so much more thoughtful. They have more follow through. And so I, to be honest, I'm just going to be surprised. Whatever they say, I'm going to be shocked because they're always, they always have something going on behind the scenes. You and I just let everybody know on the front end, there's no secrets. We have nothing going on. Like there's literally nothing here. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, they've, they've got some nuggets in here. We're going to pull them out today. But, you know, coaches that, it is great when they listen. And I think that's why they're so much better than you and I, Joey, because all we want to do is talk. What was that, Russ? What'd you say? <laughs> exactly. All right. Let, let's let's shut up for a second. Let's let's hear from these. So to my left, I got Mr. Incredible, his superpower is speed to financial freedom, and the real beauty of that speed is it's contagious. My man, JD Hill, say hello to your fans, JD. Hey fans. Uh I don't know why I always wave as if people are watching. They're not watching. They're listening. Uh, but for those of y'all listening, just know about? that I, I always wave. We, we have a, 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 a beautiful, growing YouTube audience that loves, that loves to, to see you wave at them. What are you talking about? Two hands then. Two hands. Hello. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad that y'all are uh, in the great state of Texas. That is, uh, that's exciting. I, Hey, remember the Alamo, man. That's what I've I've been told. Even though you are in my home state, you are still a little over five hours away from me. So just to we can't just visit each other, unfortunately. That's a plane ride. 
Mm. Yeah. I mean, you could have driven down. I mean, like, hey, we, we came we came more than halfway, right? It was a it was kind of a hitch moment. We came ninety percent of the way, you should have came the other ten. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Touche. I'm excited about this topic though. I really am. All right. Um, well, well I, I, w- I want to hear from you, but give, give me one second, if you would. Let, let me pop over here to the retiree of the group. Mr. Catch Me If You Can. The newly married man, when he's not killing bears with his bare hands, moving his uh, his new wife into his house, or spear diving for tuna. He's right here dropping gold nuggets. The one and only Mark Cargucci. Welcome, Mark. Good morning, because it actually is morning. So, yeah, it's, it's actually even earlier morning than normal. Like I said, I, I, I did the wrong post because... On my calendar, I, I was I was supposed to be at the gym. This this is gym time, but this is going to be a mental workout. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. Hey, start off your day with the best stuff, man. That's what I like to say, right? This go. is this is an opportunity for us to to learn from you. You've been up to a lot of things. I, I kind of dropped one on. We said it the last time on the podcast. You you recently got married. There's some things that's going to come out of that. So I'm excited to hear from you. But let's let's bring the last one in the group. The true the true financial Sherlock Holmes of our day. No problem, too difficult to solve. If I had only known him earlier, I'd been so much richer. Said everybody, Mr. Downtown Ernie Brown. Nice to see you, Ernie. Nice to be seen. Any any day that I get to see you guys, I am H-A-P-P-Y about that. Okay. Hey, Joseph, we we yes. were we were talking about this yesterday and, and just kind of started asking some questions of of these guys to kind of help us hear some of the things that they've been up to. So I want, I want you to, to lead into it. So I don't want to take all the questions and, and the thunder from you. What question would you like to ask one of our coaches about what they've been up to since our last meeting? Well, I, I think all the single ladies out there, uh, you know, after they got done crying, hearing that Mark was getting married, they were interested. Mark, what's it like, man? What What's it like now? You're married. What what's going to be different? What are you thinking about in terms of financial freedom, and uh, you know, next steps for you and now your bride? Financial freedom or like cupboard freedom? Because I've I've lost a lot of storage space freedom that I used to have. It's it's all been uh, reappropriated for uh, probably probably for better use because uh, you know otherwise I was just storing air. Um, but, yes. but now we're actually doing stuff. But in terms of like what we're doing strategically. Yes. Um, so we got the marriage squared away. Um, and really probably the first step is actually getting back to the basics, which for me, I'm going to throw down is budgeting. So obviously going back, taking a look at finances, because now that we're, we're, we're marrying two independent households into one, there's two Costco memberships. There's two Amazon memberships. There's cell phones that are in different spots and this and that and the other. And so, taking a moment to take a step back and be like, you know, what, what are the, some things we, we say on the podcast opener, you know, enhancing savings, increasing cash flow, and creating passive income. Well, we've got the savings vehicle going. Um, we can always do more. We're going to work on that. But enhancing cash flows, let's look at the budget. Let's trim where we can trim so that we're not spending money in areas we don't need to. And so a lot of those Man. you mentioned memberships and things of that nature, anything else that you've identified that maybe people could learn from? Um, well, besides, yeah, just eliminating duplicate spending is, is something I would obviously always be looking at. Uh, and then there, there is a tax question in there too, right? So we're having conversations with my tax professional. Hey, is it more advantageous to marry file jointly? 
or this year, given some of the things that are happening, Mary file separately because we're selling her property. She has a townhouse and we're selling that, which is going to create a capital gain scenario. Which way is going to be more advantageous? Is it separate or is it together? Oh, pretty interesting. That I, I love the fact that you guys got married and then immediately you're having a budgeting conversation. Like I just feel like this is how you, you, you organize things. My wife likes to call that beginning of the month, Russ. <laughs> we have the budgeting conversation, <laughs> but it seems like she says, you know, you know, and we're, she's asking me questions. Are we at the beginning of the month for us? Or are we at the end of the month for us? There's two different guys here. I just need to know who I'm talking to. Sounds like we're at the beginning of the month, Mark. You guys are talking about budgeting. I love every bit of that. How about you, Ern? Tell us a little bit about things that you've been up to since we last did this quarterly update. First of all, that is hilarious that your wife has a beginning of the month and end of the month for us. I, I just, that is so perfect. <laughs> I love it. Uh, on my end, uh, a few months ago, Caroline and I went to a dinner for a school and uh, a school that uh, gets uh, scholarships, donors uh, giving these, these kids in inner city Birmingham an opportunity to get a great education. And following that dinner, they sent me a piece of information that was really interesting. It said that in Alabama, I would be able to, through my S-Corp, donate up to 100% of my state tax liability to an organization like theirs, rather than giving it to the state, which would be a net neutral sort of tax play, but it'd be a, a huge win for a school to receive additional funding to expand their scope and reach. Uh, but what that also does for me is creates a charitable gift, uh, even at the federal level of my state tax liability. And I was so glad that they sent me that information. I am absolutely going to be taking advantage of that this year. That's no. really cool. And do you know if that's like state specific or um, have you researched any further? I know you probably didn't need to since Alabama is yeah. the one that you live in and allows you to do that. But that to me is a really interesting idea. Yeah, that's a that's an Alabama deal. I, I didn't research other states, uh, but I, I would I would wonder if there's there's other other states that that see these scholarship granting organizations as a as an opportune place for them to allow uh, individuals, business owners to to donate to. I would think that that would be around. Yeah. It just if someone wanted to go and research this, just so I know if there's a context that they could search under, is there some sort of um, code that they could look at or like anything that you specifically found it under within the state? Yeah, great, great question. I don't know uh, any codes. I took that idea and and sent a message to my CPA. And, and he said, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. I've been doing that forever. We're a huge fan of this. I'm like, thanks for telling me, man. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much. I mean, we needed, we needed him doing a podcast, right? Like, that's the thing. Isn't that the reason why we started a podcast, Joey, is for these exact things that exactly. we're doing ideas. People, I mean, this is the reason why the quarterly update exists. This is why the, uh, the passive income report exists. And I mean, frankly, is it why the podcast exists in general is that there's so many ideas, there's so many things that we're doing 
and we we may tell it to a handful of people, but we don't share it with everyone, right? And I love what you're saying there, Ernie. So let's break down that really quickly because that, for some people, you know, they're they're active right now. They're washing the dishes, or you know, they're they're watching kids at the pool. That that may have went past them. I think it's a really cool thing. So what you said is that I'm just going to make up numbers. If your state liability was twenty five thousand dollars. At the end of the year, your CPA says, by the way, this is what you're, um, you're, you're, you need to be writing a check to the state of Alabama for you. Say, so, well, you know what? I'm going to write a check to this, this, this school, and you're going to now, that 25000 eliminates your need to pay the state. So that's the same money. But then you're saying that that is now a, a charitable donation that can even be used to offset on your federal income taxes, correct? That's exactly right. And specifically in Alabama, this is, I'm not giving it to the school. I did look up and because I went to a dinner for this school, I'd never heard about this school. I was, I was hearing about their vision and it was amazing. But I went and looked in Alabama, what, uh, what schools are scholarship granting organizations? That's the key for this to work. And so I'm not, I'm not okay. actually going. So Joey, your question is, how does somebody look this up? That's what you should look up. SGOs and state state tax liability. If you if you find that and your state has that and that helps you, that would be a huge win. I'd be really excited for you. So that's that's what I did. And in Alabama, it used to be that you could donate 50% of your tax liability. And what the CPA was telling me is, as he's been a big proponent of this himself, uh, this the state has carved out X amount of millions of dollars and it hasn't been used in full. So they've they've increased it to where now individuals can donate up to 100% of their tax liability up to $100,000. So rest to your point, 25 grand, I'm all in on that. So I'm gonna jump in on this one for a second because I, I, I think beyond what Ernie found is a larger point for everyone to walk away with, which is if you're relying on your CPA or your tax professional to come up with all these ideas for you on their own, you might be leaving a lot of cheddar on the table. And Ernie went out and found this on his own and then brought the idea to the CPA and said, hey, look, this is what I found. Is this legit? Oh, yeah, we've been doing this forever. So a lot of times what I found is my CPA, my tax person, who I actually like, I mean, I think they do a good job, but they rarely answer unasked questions. And so it's normally me bringing up an idea. Hey, I'm thinking about this. Does that work? Hey, I want to write off my life insurance loans to myself that I then loan to my business and write those off as a, a, a cost for my business and walk it through with them. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So you still need to do the legwork on your own to come up with some of these ideas, but then get obviously get it proofread by someone else. I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in there, I'm gonna challenge this. I know this is not gonna be shocking to you, right? But Joey, you and I were on a call just the other day and we were talking about, I feel like this very thing with the 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 CPA, right? We were talking about what makes a good CPA, what makes a good advisor in general, whether it's a tax advisor, it's a, a, a financial coach, whatever that person is, what it, what makes a good advisor? What do you remember what what they said specifically? Um, I, you know, I always have to paraphrase Russ, uh, but I want to say it was more in line of they need to be the ones like proactively bringing you deals or opportunities, but also they're running towards the tax code. Yeah. 
they're, not away okay. from. Okay, I'm not saying I'm not saying that the person didn't say that, but what they said that person should be the one asking all the questions. If you're the one having to ask them all the questions, they may not be the right advisor. He said, imagine if if you're if you went to the doctor and and out of the 14 out of the 15 minutes the doctor's in the room. They were like, okay, Mark, just ask me all the questions you want to ask. I mean, you would run out of questions really quickly, right? I mean, because it's like maybe you have a couple of things on your mind, but you don't know what sort of questions to ask the doctor. You're not supposed to, right? A good advisor should be the one asking all the questions. They should know the right questions to be asking you. And when they see us, one, I, I would say to you, Ern, I'm just, I, I've never seen your tax return, but my guess, if I looked at your tax return, like I used to look at Joey's, you're you're um, have a high percentage of charitable contributions, correct? Would that, that be a fair statement? Yes. Okay, I'd be like, well, man, uh, Ernie's a, a very charitable guy. I also see him paying a large amount of money to the state every every year. Hey, Ern, would you like to take this state tax and apply it in a charitable way? I mean, that should be two and two things that they they should be putting that together. And, and so, again, I, I'm, I'm challenging that. I feel like some of the times we, we, we want to take all the responsibility, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't take some, right? I mean, nobody's going to care for our money the way we do. Nobody's going to care if we get to write off taxes as much as we do. But I also want to say, man, if you are a tax advisor, you're listening to this, take action, man. Like, start helping people. Like, start asking them questions. Start looking for those things just the way that – Mark, I know that you look at that for your for the people that you're working with. You're you're trying to find the opportunity. You see them doing something else in their area of life, and you say, "Hey, would you like to take advantage of this too?" I from looking at this, it makes me think of maybe this is an opportunity. All right, so I know that that's kind of all off topic, but I'm just challenging those that are in an advisory position to to allow some of the knowledge you have to go ask your, the people that you're talking with better questions so that they're not sitting there trying to bring all the ideas to you because then they, they leave it with sort of like a frustration. Like, why didn't you tell me some of this stuff? All right, JD, tell us a little bit about what you've been up to over the last three months. Um, first real quick before I, I, I do, I, I love when you ask us questions, knowing that we have no idea what answer you're looking for. Like it's, you it's are the, it is a hundred percent gift, JD. The absolute best at asking a question and then leading us into just reaching into the dark. Like I have no idea what I'm feeling around for. Um, and then here comes Russ with the with the wonderful answer. So uh, always, I'm just glad I wasn't always. on the receiving end of that, Joey. So, uh, <laughs> anyways, um, man, we've we've been up to a lot uh, the past uh, couple of months. Uh, in fact, the last few days uh, we had. Uh, planning meetings going over just organizationally how to organize everything that we're doing. Uh, so we've, we've added another fixed, oh, excuse me, we've added another uh, short-term rental to our portfolio, which has been absolutely great. The weirdest thing happened. Uh, that one has been like 85% occupied and the other one, it was, it was bad. It was not doing very well in terms of occupancy this year from the year before. But once we added that one, that one was booking like crazy. And then the other one started booking as well, uh, which was great. Uh, so, so that's been really good. We also uh, increased our pet fees, uh, which has also been, been really positive. So we went from $20 a night to $25 a night. Um, so that's been really good. 
And then our, our fix and flip business, um, you know, the market has been really wild lately, right? I'm sure people across the country have started feeling that. And so we've had to, to um, take a step back and, and, and really start to strategize and game plan who our buyers are now. Uh, Cause a lot of buyers have exited the marketplace or at least they maybe they've stopped buying altogether. So we've really had to, to get much more intentional on getting organized with a plan and what we're doing. Uh, and so that's what we've done the last few days. Uh, we had, we hired a consulting company to come in and help us out with that, which has been extremely helpful. Um, cause as you know, as a business owner and investor, we're always in the business or in what we're doing that it's really helpful to be able to take a step back and work on what we're doing. Right. So we can start to see areas of opportunities and, and things that we can grow in and those types of things. Uh, so for us, the last two and a half or so months has been really focused on getting organized um, so that as we continue to grow, um, we're, we're, we have systems and processes and those types of things in place. I just read this comment. It was so drawing joy. I wanted to share it. I realized that my time is not really mine. It's my company's. Now I have to stop negotiating my time for money and I need to start working to become financially free. That's exactly how I felt when my daughter Adler asked me on the way to school, dad, can you pick me up from school today? And I had to say, no, baby, I have to go to work. That's where I drew the line. In order for you to be clear on the things you need to do and stop doing and to know who you need to become so that you can stop trading time for money, join us right now at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash passport. Now let's get back to this episode. So I, I think I'm, I'm interested. I don't know if everyone listening to this is, but obviously we, we sit back and we watch the fix and flip world from afar, unless we are involved in it. And, you know, we're trying to make decisions based upon what's happening from these macroeconomic, you know, movements out there to determine how we should operate in our own individual niches. Right. So what are, you mentioned that buyers are starting to be fewer and farther between on the fix and flip world. What other things are you seeing? What other, are materials going up or materials going down? Are you seeing, obviously interest rates, we know interest rates are going up. What are some of those other things that you're seeing from that side that may be interesting to the rest of us? Yeah, it's an awesome question. Um, what's what I've what I've what I'm hearing, and then obviously what I'm experiencing and seeing just in my own market in, in the Dallas Fort Worth market is every market is actually responding totally differently to it. Uh, fortunately for us, we're in a really good market with Dallas Fort Worth, uh, so we haven't experienced what some other markets are seeing, where prices are actually coming down quite a bit. Uh, for us, what we've seen is longer times on market. So it's turning more into of a buyer's market than it was a seller's market where you'd slap something on the market within a few days, you've got 15 offers, several over ask. Today, you're seeing stuff go on the market and it's sitting because there's more inventory. So inventory is climbing, buyers are able to now be much more selective. And so what you're having to do then is present a better product to the buyer to separate your product from everybody else's product, right? So for example, better finish outs, um, you know, different fixtures, those types of things that ordinarily you wouldn't have to worry about because supply was so low. Uh, so that's, that's one thing. Uh, another thing is a lot of that from what I've seen and heard is a lot of flippers, they're actually going more into wholesale now. Uh, and they're, they're pausing a little bit on yeah, USB outlets. That's right. <laughs> they're, 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 they're pausing now on some of the fix and flip stuff just because 
we don't know what's going to happen in the next 30, 60, 90 days. Meaning if I buy a house today and it's worth $300,000, like uh, after repair value, ARV, I don't know if in 30 or 60 or 90 days, it's still going to be an after repair value of $300,000. So there's a great deal of risk with that, um, taking, uh, taking on that project to purchase it, do the rehab and 60 or 90 days later, now you're putting it on the market, but it's not worth what you bought it for. What or at least what the, you were going to sell it for, rather. What about this, JD? I know you mentioned like uh, fixtures and things of that nature affecting the market or the, the end buyer. But is there a price range that you're finding is still very strong or has gone colder? Like what, how yep. has that helped you kind of define what you're, what you're doing? Awesome question. And again, this is going to be market specific, right? So California is an outlier, right? Because, I mean, you've got price points in the seven dollars $800,000 you know, Dallas, Fort Worth, our average home is around 400,000, I believe. Uh, and so anything under the average is still going to be strong buyer pool. So as long as you're staying under what that average is, you're still going to have a pretty strong buyer's pool. Uh, and so what we're doing is again, we're, we're trying to stay under the sub $300,000 range again, cause we want to have a larger buyer pool. Uh, so the lower you get the, the, <laughs> Mark, you're blowing up the chat right now and throwing me off, uh, off kilter here. Yes. $399,999. That's right. So for us, like we want to buy houses, you know, that are in the 200 to $250,000 range. Uh, ideally the caveat to that though, is it's also the most competitive space because it's easier to buy that house as well. So it's just a really interesting season and a really interesting time right now. Uh, fortunately mortgage rates have come down, which has been interesting um, to see mortgage rates come down. We don't know what the fed's going to do obviously with, with interest rates into the future. We suspect they'll, they, they should raise them. You would think if they're going to try to, you know, temper inflation or print more money, you know, uh, I don't know which one actually works. Uh, printing more money, I, I think is a good thing. Not really. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so it's, it's again, like we're fortunate in being in Dallas Fort Worth in this particular market, we were expanding into other markets into Houston and San Antonio and Austin. We've started to pull that back and stay closer into our, our, our backyard just cause we know it a lot better. And we feel like we have a little more control over those, uh, those particular things. So where before, like you wouldn't put any, say for example, you wouldn't put any hardware on a cabinet, right? Well now in kitchen cabinets, you'll put hardware on it, right? It's just a small little like finish out that most people wouldn't think about, but uh, a woman walking into it, she's going to see this house versus the house next door price at the same. And this one has, you know, uh, hard, hardware on the cabinets. And that's a, that's an extra touch for the same price. Right. And so it's those gotcha. types of little things that, that you can do, uh, to, to add a little more, uh, to the end buyer and, 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 uh, differentiate your property from somebody else's. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So JD, we'll come back to you on some other things you're working on, but Mark, I want to come back to you as far as like just some of the th places where you're looking to invest or maybe, have invested in, in maybe shifting. I don't know. Give us an update on that. Yeah, we had we had liquidated uh, Sharon's IRA and we put that into a, a real estate deal. So we were a bridge loan for someone, uh, and that's worked out uh, very well. We're in the process of collecting now, so closing that deal out. Uh, and so now the now the focus shifts. Okay, what are we going to try and move into next? Uh, there's a storage facility op opportunity that I like. Uh, I like long-term storage, especially, uh, and again, I'm, I'm not praying or hoping that we have an economic downturn, even though we're already in one, uh, but I'm not hoping that people have hardship and whatnot. But what we've seen is 
when there are times of economic hardship, people that are renting a house or living in a house, they downsize to an apartment. People that are in an apartment downsize to say a, a smaller apartment and then down to a mobile home. And it just kind of cascades down. Well, as you downsize, you've got a bunch of stuff left over and that stuff's got to go be parked somewhere. And storage facilities, I think, aside from owning a parking lot, uh, have some of the lowest overhead out there. And I have always been excited about storage and I've always wanted to get into it. So now we're just trying to figure out some timing on funds and whether it's it's appropriate for us to move into or not. Well, no. So you like storage from the standpoint of it, uh, of what you just mentioned, but is there anything like would tell you that this is going to be a good bet long-term? Like what are any uh, other examples that you see? Historical data. Uh, when, when we look at storage facilities from the past moving forward. Uh, and what's really interesting is if in certain areas where you're, if they're building brand new storage, when you build brand new storage, your overhead is reasonably high. So your margin is fairly low. But when you can acquire existing storage and make it better. So kind of like with JD, a fix and flip where you're going in and you're doing a rehab you're putting a new coat of paint on, you're updating the systems, you're kind of kicking out the languishing tenants, you're adding certain things in. And yes, having a bunch of extra stuff, my garage looks like a hoarder's paradise right now. Um, it's it, it's like a hobo village. I, I feel like a lab rat as I'm trying to get to something in the back. I've got a maze that I've got to get through. And I should have left some cheddar on the ground so that I could know the path. But <laughs> Uh, yeah, my, my garage basically looks like a storage unit right now. Um, it, it's a source of, of shame and a bane for me right now, but it is what it is. So that's why another reason why I like storage. Can I jump in there on storage? Because I, one of the things I love is when we were out in Austin at the Passive Income Mastermind, right? What, what did Mitch Stevens say about storage? Why did he love storage? Is this one of those moments where you guys don't know the answer again? All right, I'll, I'll jump it's in because there. he gets paid no matter <laughs> what. He he's yeah, first in line. It's forever cash. Well, yeah, he's first first in line, right? Like somebody okay. wants their stuff out of it, they got to come and get it out of the thing, right? It's not like a car or a house; you got to go chase them down. No, they got to come to your place and get it, so they got to pay you to get it out. <laughs> if 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 they've stored something in there that was important, somebody else has to pay you to get it out of there. And the last thing is you can sell it, right? I feel like I'm throwing the football to myself and running down the hallway. I got a great story on that. I'll save it for another day. Um, but, I mean, thank you. Thank you guys for letting me answer my own question. It was great. You're welcome, Russ. Thank, All right. thank All you, right. So, yeah, thank you for interrupting me in my conversation with Mark. Mark, I have one quick question. You brought up uh, the bridge loan idea and lending. I know you've done lending in the past. I had a brilliant idea that I want to see if it actually makes any sense on lending in the land space. Uh, we work with a lot of land flippers. They have a lot of success in in uh, working the Land Geek system. If you don't know what we're talking about, check out thelandgeek.com. Um, that's where we're at right now. We're at the boot camp for Land Geek. But I know you have lent to these uh, land flippers in the past because they have a lot of success and they they start to run out of capital pretty quick. In that kind of space, would you think that's a good idea, bad idea? Like, what's been your experience in lending in that space? I will disclaimer that my uh, foray into the land lending space uh, came from a little bit of a different 
uh, a vein. I wasn't necessarily trying to make gobs and gobs of cash. I was actually trying to help a friend grow her business. And so from that vein, my, my structuring and whatnot is a little bit different than, than what someone else might do. But what we did was we, we, we set up a working agreement and we talked it out. And so I would be the money and she would then borrow the money, use that to go acquire land and then off you go. And so now she would go and get the land, market it, sell it. And when it was all said and done, after all the fees and costs were paid, we would then pay me back my initial loan and then we would divvy up the profits. Now that works great on a cash sale. Where it come, becomes a little bit different is if it's a term sale. And so that was something that we had to have a second discussion about because I didn't really want to be involved in a term uh, because I know how my finances work. I know how much I'm paying for the loan. And if I now all of a sudden am kicked out five years on a loan deal, well, then all of a sudden the discussion switched to how are we going to divvy up that profit? How did you come up with this number? And so it became an education for both of us in trying to figure out how do we create a term deal? Uh, so, so our contract actually has two forks in the road, uh, one for the cash deal, which is preferred. Uh, and then the other one is, well, if it happens to be a term deal, we created kind of a, an either or where I can either be paid out from another deal, uh, what I would have gotten if it was cash, or we restructured to allow it to run as a term deal. And then basically I would get all my money first I would be paid first until I was made whole, and then we would divvy profits from that point forward. Gotcha. So in that regard, let's just say somebody had the idea of like his daughter starting a lending business in the land space. Would you, would you encourage them to pursue that? Just maybe give them some direction on that? Or would you say, uh, I don't know if that's the best strategy? I think every strategy can work. You just got to figure out how is it going to be beneficial to everybody. And, so it depends. That's, that's really what it comes down to. It depends. It depends. Obviously, it always depends. <laughs> and it depends how did I know you're going to say that? Yeah, it, it depends on the depending of how you depend when you depend on it. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Catch me if you can. And Mr. <laughs> depends. <That's> right. <laughs> All right. So, Ernie, I'm going to bring it back to you. Um, tell us one other thing or something else you're working on that is going to get you closer to financial freedom this quarter. Totally. So I'm hoping that in the next couple of weeks, we kick off this, this land business, which I shared, we were, <clears throat> I was looking forward to in the last update. Well, it's here. We're moving forward. We're just finalizing. We've, we've, we've been editing and tweaking the partnership agreement and we're, we're settled on on terms and amounts and all of this. We're just waiting to get those documents finalized. We're setting up the entity. What does that mean, Ernie? When you say setting up a land business, land partnership, can you can you put a little more clothes on it, as Joey likes to say? <laughs> sure. So what what probably how most people would would go about their land business is they'd they'd create their own business. But I'm interested in in partnering. Uh, with somebody who already has a land business and creating a business to the side to help me get involved in land flipping and to help them expand what they're already doing. And so to do that, we've, we've just got to figure out what, what makes sense for the bus, for the both of us, both partners. And, and, and how do we make the, the profit 
work for both of us. And so that's what we've been working out. And and now it's go time. Does that answer your question, Russ? I mean, it, it does. I mean, I, I want to, you know, help other people out there who are thinking about this. Because both what you're talking about and what, Mark, you just got finished talking about, I think is there's a lot of opportunity for synergy. We talk about our our group, right? If we kind of go through our process, the, the core level, the base level, what we're doing right now in this podcast is educating. It's a lot of times it's just giving people ideas. Sometimes it's giving people clarity. It's helping people understand what it is that they want and why they want it, right? Like we talk about that. A lot of the people that we interview are talking about where they were, the, the situations they were in and how they came out of them, right? And then we start building on top of that by creating infrastructure, the infinite banking concept, which we all uh, have mentioned at some level, either on this podcast or many other podcasts, is kind of that next level. And then we start stacking things on top of it. We're stacking passive income, but also we start working in a support phase with other people. So coming back to my point to this is that we have a passive income mastermind, which is typically those who have more money than time. We have an inner circle, which is typically those who have more time than money, but are wanting to find things to do, right? So you have people out there that maybe there's a chance to partner, right? Like the examples you guys are sharing is a lot of, hey, there was an operator, someone who had time and had an experience that had the ability to go out and produce, but what were they lacking or needing more of was capital, right? So now we can come in in a partnership relationship with them. I just like to like point these out because I think that's the beauty of these groups that we have is that you can see synergy sometimes, not that we're here to necessarily partner people together. We don't do that at all, but we create environments where that happens naturally. And I, I'm seeing you two do that exact thing. Am I, am I lining that up right or am I just coming up with that on my own this time? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's well said and, and maybe helpful. But well, just even my own journey, what opportunities are there for me to do? Things that either take all my money or things that take all my time. And, and if, I, if I can only think about those two things, I'm missing all the creative ways to put things together with other people that can help solve some of that. So we've talked about it takes four things to do a deal. Time, money, education, experience, and then whatever Russ has come up with since then. Right. So with those four things, we can mix and match who who's bringing those things to the table. And that creates endless possibilities. That's great. No doubt. Um, now, you also had your, your triplex the last time we talked. Uh, any any developments on that that you want to share? Uh, yeah, sure. So I can't remember if I shared this last time we, we had a tenant renew. And so we were able to raise rent. Uh, so that's a. I don't know if that's necessarily a win, uh, but it's certainly keeping me from going backwards, right? JD talks about you have to you have to create higher end finishes for your market to be interested. Well, just the cost of supplies is going up, so if anything breaks in that, I need to be raising rent just to be able to to keep keep the cash flow positive. Uh, the other thing with with that property is, and this was part of the conversation with the CPA is I kind of bundled a few things that I was working with is as I start this land business and that's generating additional passive income, which is going to create a tax liability. Should I go ahead and, and do a cost segregation study on that triplex 
to be able to to gain the bonus depreciation to help with the tax liability to help me keep more of the of the operating income on that property so that I can use that to to invest in in future deals so pay less tax today to to grow future deals sooner to create more income streams and uh, so that was a piece of the conversation uh, with him in addition to that and those scholarship granting organizations. That's awesome. Yeah, keep us keep us posted on that. Um, so, JD, anything specifically that uh, we can we can get an update from you on? Yeah. So, because of the change of the market, uh, for us, we've looked at this. This is one of the things I actually love about real estate is because there's so many different things that you can do in real estate. You can do land flipping, you can do short-term rentals, you can do short-term rental arbitrage, you can do multifamily, you can do commercial, right? I mean, there's no shortage of opportunity in the marketplace with real estate. And so it challenges you, it forces you to grow and learn. And uh, one of the things that I have personally just been vehemently against is long-term rentals. And the reason is because I don't want to deal with it, right? Like I just, I don't want to deal with tenants and all that kind of stuff. Well, because of what's happening in the marketplace, now what we're actually looking at is really um, exploring doing burrs because we're already buying these properties at steep discounts. And so if we can actually not even worry about necessarily selling it to an M buyer, but creating it in such a way to where now we can plan for the appreciation, cash flow is not really that big of a deal per se. We can hire a property manager to deal with all that stuff for us. Um, that gives us another tool in our toolbox uh, to be able to look at properties from a different perspective beyond just, okay, this has to just be a flip or this has to just be a wholesale. Uh, so now what we're doing is we're, we're evaluating properties uh, from the perspective of, could this actually now be a burr for us to add into the portfolio? So getting more creative about your possible exit strategies on each property. And just so, just so we don't assume that everybody knows what you mean, break down what the burr strategy is. Uh, we actually have some specialists that are going to come on the show soon that are going to break down their formula to do this, but I'd love for you to share how you're thinking about that. Yeah. And I'm excited for those podcasts uh, and those guests to, to share. Uh, so the, the burr is very simply uh, the first, the B stands for buy. And then you have uh, renovate the first R. So R rehab, and then you have rent. So you put a renter in it after you rehab it. And then after you, you, you rehab it, you put a renter in it, then you refinance it. So that's the next R. And the last R is you repeat. Uh, but when you refinance so you, it, what's the goal? Is it just to get a lower rate or what? Great question. The goal is to get all the cash back that you would have put into it. So hopefully you're net neutral. So all of my costs to purchase the property, the, the renovation costs, all those types of things, hopefully I added enough value that it appraises at such that I can then get all that cash back. And now the house is net neutral, maybe even some extra cash back. And it's, you have now a cash flowing property with all your money back. And that's where the repeat comes in. Now you got something to take that capital, go do it again, go do it again, go do it again. So people can see the power of that strategy. Um, you, it doesn't take a lot of capital to get something like that going. Uh, you know, contrary to most, most people's belief about building a massive real estate portfolio, you can do a big, a lot of deals with a little bit of money if you keep doing that same strategy. That's right. And I, that's I feel right. like that's such a great idea that you guys have already built in the construction side of it, right? And I think it gives you probably some more ability to pivot 
I mean, I think one of the things we have to do as entrepreneurs, we have to be nimble. We have to be flexible. We can't just fall in love with the one thing. And oftentimes when you see when people go down with the Titanic, right, they haven't built in those lifeboats. They haven't built in many different options or the ability to pivot when the thing that you're doing isn't going perfectly. Why is it that we have the passive income mastermind not at 100%, but its focus is 200%, Joey? What's the goal there? What what are we hoping to accomplish by 200% versus 100%? Well, we want to be able to have more freedom to, to be more generous and to give to the next generation our time, energy, and pass this along to them. At least that's that's my kind of drive for 200%. Well, and also at the simplest, the simple side of that is if we're only half right, we're still financially free, <laughs> right? That's I right. mean, at the, so the more, the more, um, the more sources of income we can have, the more flexibility we have in the things that we're doing gives us the thing, right? We can always make more money, but we can never get back time. And I think, you know, what stresses us out the most is when we don't have money, when our bank accounts are low, when the, when the market is crashing and it, it impacts us significantly because that's where our money is or that's where our hope is, right, and what that future will hold as compared to just being skilled and being, uh, being able to see where value is needed and go out and create it, right? Adam Smith wrote the book. That, that help talk about that, the invisible hand, and, and we can help others as we go out and pursue these financial endeavors. And it's amazing where value is created. We're sitting here in San Antonio, Texas right now, where people are creating amazing value for their end buyers. And what are they doing? They're going out and taking uh, um, something that has always existed, land. That's the whole, one of the, if not the oldest asset that exists, right? That, that That's just dirt. They're finding it buying it from someone who no longer wants it, which is creating value for that person, and then turning around and selling it in a way to someone who's without credit, uh, with low-down payments, with monthly payments, that otherwise would have never been able to do it. They create amazing value, and they create a lot of cash flow for themselves along the way. So I just think that this is a great podcast episode. Thank you, coaches, for, for being open to share what you're doing. I think we all learn when we get to hear the, the different things that um, – that you're up to Joey, you and I are going to be doing our passive income report here, I think next week. So we're going to be updating everybody on what happened in the month of July, which I'm excited to share some of those updates as well. But for you, if you have not already chosen that path, if you're not already educated yourself to the point to say, this is the clarity I have and what I need to do next, take action, go to what'swhatwallstreet.com forward slash free call and help, um, Share that information with one of these coaches. They do have the right questions. They will ask you the right questions. They they will help you get to a point of clarity so you will know what the right next thing is for you to do. As always, we thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We'll see you next week. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.